Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Safety and Health Podcast by SHP. I'm your host, Ian Hart, and I'm the editor of SHP. On this episode of the show, we're going to look at coaching and leadership with a discussion on developing non-technical skills and overcoming a lack of confidence. The interview you're about to hear forms part of a series for women in health and safety carried out by Charlotte Gagan, Event and Content Manager for Safety and Health Expo, Workplace Wellbeing Show, and SHP. SHP sits on the Women in Health and Safety Committee, and our goal with this series is to amplify the voices of women in the profession. Some of the topics covered affect women more than men. Some are deeply personal, and we hope that by bringing some of these topics to the fore, we can highlight that people should be able to talk about all sorts of issues that affect us on a daily basis in a workplace setting. This interview features Anna Keane, founding director at Acre Frameworks, who provides guidance on learning the relevant skills to progress your career and delves into confidence, including how to present yourself and tips for leaders when dealing with imposter syndrome. With over 12 years experience recruiting senior health and safety professionals across the globe, Anna developed Acre Frameworks to focus on the assessment and development of behavioural competencies within the profession. Anna and her team conducted a series of in-depth interviews with industry leaders to define the competencies critical for success to create the Acre Frameworks Competency Framework. The framework is the foundation for a range of assessment developing offerings aimed at assisting individuals and teams to improve their performance. In addition to having an extensive recruitment experience, Anna is also an accredited psychometric assessor and a trained competency interviewer. Let's join the interview with Charlotte asking Anna about what steps you can take to learn the relevant soft skills in order to progress your career. We don't actually use the term soft skills. I think it downplays them, whether it's leadership skills or non-technical skills, but I think they are some of the hardest to develop. The way we look at soft skills development or non-technical development is actually it's not just about acquiring skills. We have a methodology, for example, where like skill acquisition is the last part. It's more about step one we call discovery, but actually that's about getting curious about your own behaviours, building self-awareness, understanding what your strengths are and how you can leverage them and then uncovering what your limiting behaviours are. So you can really clearly in that process get curious about yourself, get some level of self-awareness, but also own what your development goals are. So I think for anyone in this profession, that's sort of the starting point is to get really curious and vulnerable about where you need to develop. We obviously have a psychometric tool that we use, but we encourage people to go out there and get feedback. So it's good to understand where your development needs are, but also remember you don't have to be sort of all things to all people. Actually, really focus on what you bring to the table. Focus on the things that actually you add value around the things you enjoy doing rather than like, you know, if you're not a data person, don't try and become a data person. Really, that's to us is step one is really understanding who you are and what the areas that disable you enroll. So we talk about leverage your strengths first and foremost, and then develop your limitations to the point they don't disable you. So really understand what are the critical things I need to develop. Then the next that we look at is often around coaching, and particularly with women, we find this is really effective because if I give you the example of someone that has to present at a senior level, and say they're not particularly effective in that, what will standard development routes will be, here's a presentation skills course. And actually, I think there's a huge piece that we're missing when we develop people which is actually unlocking what is stopping them from presenting so the women that I've worked with and I coach a lot of quite senior women now it's what is their pattern of self-talk you know what are their saboteurs what are the stories they tell themselves how do they reflect post-event how do they build up to it how do they plan and then the bit around actual presentation skills is almost secondary 
after they've done that work on themselves. And I think that's really important, especially when you bring in like non-technical skills and confidence. The women that I work with are exceptionally capable. The one thing that limits them is the way they talk to themselves. I'm sure you've heard me talk previously, like there's a lot of talk about glass ceilings. We've got a huge problem with sticky floors, like women actually not giving themselves the space and not giving themselves structures in which they unlock some of that stuff personally and allows them to fulfill their potential. So it's almost like they don't allow themselves or they're not supported to become everything they can be. And I think that's the work we've been doing over the last five years, but especially the coaching that, you know, like for myself and Kendall do, tends to be much more about working with individuals around what's holding them back and then unlocking that. And once you can get people comfortable to not step outside their comfort zone, to not fear failure, to be vulnerable, I think that then unlocks this huge amount of capability, which helps them to acquire skills. I think the other thing that is often missing when we talk about non-technical development is people often go on courses, but they don't follow through with action. So we do a lot of work on like habit formation. We look at like insight into action. So learning something and then giving it a go. To me, that's the problem with big development. You know, when you go off for three days in a workshop is you might pick up one or two things, but actually you get back to work, life continues on and actually nothing changes. What we've worked over the last couple of years to do is actually make sure that any development work we do as a team, there is an opportunity to learn something, to discuss it, to practice it in a safe environment and then to go and give it a go. And then we encourage people to reflect on it. What went well? What didn't go well? What would I do differently? Three W's. We use that constantly with people. And then we ask them to reflect back in the following session, because unless there's insight into action, nothing changes. The first time you have a difficult conversation, it's not going to go right. Some of it will, if you plan. Same as when you do your first presentation in front of a group. Mm -hmm. Having the opportunity to reflect on what went well, what didn't and what you do differently just means that you're going to positively reinforce that situation rather than avoid it. So for me, supporting people to build self-awareness, to unlock some of their limiting behaviours and then helping them to acquire skills. When we're working with health and safety professionals and particularly women, they're like the three stages we go to. I have noticed from the women who I've been speaking to that confidence is something that so many women lack to at least a certain extent. Even, as you'll know, women in senior positions who would come across as confident, knowledgeable experts still have self-doubt. For anybody who is feeling like that, what is your best advice on how to present yourself as someone who is confident, even if you're not feeling it? Is it just those steps that we've talked about or is there anything else that you would suggest? So we do encourage people to plan, to practice, role play the conversation, practice the presentation. But I think what I certainly know from my experience is I would like harvest for like negative feedback rather than positive feedback. And actually, sometimes we need to be kinder to ourselves in those situations and go looking for the good stuff as well. There's a rule that I was taught ages ago, which every time I seem to give it to someone, it's a bit like a gift. But we tend to mark ourselves 10 out of 10. 10 is the ultimate aim. But I'm not sure if I've ever said it to you before, but something I was taught was mark yourself out of 10 and if you give yourself a seven in academia that's a first so 70 percent is a first so actually this whole concept of being kind to yourself and speaking to yourself the same way you would speak to a friend or, or someone that you care about is really important definitely practicing it definitely working to get feedback from others 
taking that feedback on board. There's a lot of stuff, actually, when we do look at presentation skills, is about how you stand, how you present. When I present, I can't present holding paper, I shake. So I don't ever carry notes. I practice and understand my key messages, especially, I think, more so now. It's kind of OK to be a bit more vulnerable in situations and actually say presenting is not my strong suit. It's something I'm working on. It's a development area or if you're having a difficult conversation, you know, this doesn't fit really easily with me. And actually being yeah. a bit vulnerable in that situation, I think is, well, I definitely think it's OK. Definitely, you know, that's something I encourage women around me to do. I think traditionally to be credible and be authoritative and be able to, like, exude that is one thing. But these days, I think that's changing, actually, the willingness to say that an area of mine is something I'm working on, give me feedback actually much more acceptable so that's something I really encourage people I'm working with to do because I know when I was starting to present I would come off and someone would say to me you know how did that go and I would be brutal with my feedback but actually when I asked other people it was never as bad as it was in my head I think finding good people to surround yourself with people you trust people that will give you the constructive feedback that you do need like we always need it and I think that reflection point We do an exercise in coaching, which is post a difficult conversation, a presentation or situation you feel unconfident in. We ask people to reflect on that situation and then we reflect on their reflections and sort of check the language they're using. And quite often it will be incredibly negative. We have to pull them up on the fact they'd never speak to someone else the way they would speak to themselves. And I think that the power of looking at how you talk to yourself and reframing it. One of the lines I live by is if you're pleasing everyone, you're not making progress. It's a Sheryl Sandberg line because for the first definitely two years that I set frameworks up, I was being asked to talk at things, being asked to go to speak to clients about stuff. And I felt like I was winging it completely. And I was. (laughs) It was a huge amount of what I was doing. I had a passion for what I was doing. I was learning on the job. But that made me feel really vulnerable all the time. And in some ways, it was like the most empowering thing I've ever done. To me, imposters is about not feeling you've earned it. Like someone's going to catch you out. Like someone is at some point going to recognize that you just haven't got a clue what you're doing. My only comfort in the last five years has come from meeting, coaching, working with numerous people that I always thought had it covered and recognizing they all feel the same. So that's the joy of what I get to do is I get to coach global VPs and mm-hmm. they feel exactly the same as I do. Mm-hmm. And we're all human in it. And I think now my whole view on imposters is like I'm outside my comfort zone. If I feel like I am winging it, I own it. I know that that's where I'm in growth. And if I'm not there often enough, then I'm probably getting a little bit comfortable and complacent. So I think imposters are almost like this negative thing. And actually, I think over the last five years, it's probably driven me more. I've worked harder. I've studied harder. I've planned, prepped harder because I felt like I don't have it. It's just trying to keep it constructive rather than destructive. It's where you can keep it as your driving force rather than something that eats you up. A big part in it. And that's like with most things. We often use the example of when we profile people and they're high caring. High caring is an amazing thing to be empathetic with others, to genuinely care personally, which is something, God, we'd like most people we work to. But at some point it can go too far and you carry everyone else's problems and it becomes an emotional burden. So a lot of the work we do is trying to keep people on that constructive side rather than that destructive side. If I now feel imposters, it's because 
I'm doing something I've never done before, and I kind mm-hmm. of find that a little bit exciting. I just know now that if I feel like I've got imposters, I need to plan, I need to prep, I need to do stuff that actually brings it constructive rather than destructive. And then it's getting comfortable with failure. Have you got any advice for anybody who's in, let's say, a position of leadership, managers, any advice for how they can help people within their own teams when it comes to imposter syndrome or confidence? We talk a lot about psychological safety at the moment, especially over the last 18 months, but creating an environment where people feel that they can speak up, that they can share their opinions and creating an environment where feedback is just sort of the norm. And that is positive feedback as well as constructive. So I think when we talk about feedback, often we go to the negative, the constructive. And actually, it's so important to positively feedback to people, especially imposters. I think if you can give a balance of both, it, it kind of kills the paranoia because you know where you stand. That's what imposters is. It's someone's going to catch me out. Whereas actually, if you can create an environment where someone can openly say, this is the first time I've done this or I'm learning, I would like your feedback, that actually it kind of normalises it. Also talking to people about their growth trajectories. Not everyone wants to grow at a rapid pace. Some people grow slowly over time. But when someone gets a promotion, it is usually around periods of change. They feel that actually being really clear about what the expectation is creating those safe spaces for people to talk about how they're feeling, asking questions like, how do you feel it's actually going mm-hmm. in terms of how are you coping with change? What are you working on? And I think the more we can get into that kind of conversation, as well as talking about the task you're doing, talk about how you're talking about the task, but actually how are you having that conversation around that? So try and create an environment where feedback positive and constructive is given and normalise that it's okay if you feel like that, it means you're growing. I think leaders as well to talk about their own experiences. My team always, anytime I'm vulnerable about how I'm feeling, at least one of them drops me a message and says, thanks for being vulnerable. It's given us permission to be vulnerable too. So if you're a leader and you've got a team, talk about your own imposters. (laughs) That will actually normalise it within your team. I think that's important. Some valuable advice and takeaways from Anna there, which I'm sure resonates with many of you listening. I think it's a really interesting point about leaders sharing their own experiences with their teams to tackle the stigma and normalise some of the issues that people may be feeling. I'd like to thank Anna Keane for sharing her thoughts and experiences with us for this interview and to you for tuning in. If you are new to the Safety and Health podcast, please do get back and check out our previous episodes. Last time out, we were joined by Tanya Yenka, General Manager of Cority Australia, who has carried out a study analysing over half a million occupational injuries in Western Australia to find out whether economic growth following a period of recession has an impact on workplace injuries. You can find a link to the podcast hub where all the episodes are hosted in the episode description. If you like what you hear, you can follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. We are also available on your smart speaker. Simply ask to play the Safety and Health podcast. We'd be really grateful if you could rate us and comment on your chosen platform as that will help us get the shows out to a wider audience. Please do stay tuned to shponline.co.uk for the very latest health and safety news where you can also sign up to our daily e-newsletter. Thank you very much for listening and see you on the next episode. Mm